Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa, and the podcast is in partnership with PR Daily, which is the preeminent brand for public relations professionals delivering news, advice, opinions, and benchmarking via PRDaily.com. Join me there to find more episodes for the podcast. And if you like the podcast, please do leave a review and share it with your colleagues so that more folks can find it online. Thanks so much. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's episode is with, well, just a journalist that I've worked with and admired for many, many years. Amy Harder is with Cypher, which is another new and amazing publication on the block. And I'm just super grateful to have you. Amy, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here with you. So let's Let's start. I want to know a little bit more about Cypher. I know you're now you're on the West Coast, which is coincidental, but also happens to be where you grew up. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. Yeah, so Cypher, uh, which means zero, as in zero greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, Cypher is what uh, we call mission-driven journalism, where we're upfront with people about our mission, which is to help address climate change. We're doing it through journalism, through asking tough but fair questions about the technologies that we'll need to address climate change. Uh, And it really is a nice natural flow of where my career has been over the last decade or more, which we can get into if you would like. Uh, But sort of the nuts and bolts of Cypher, we're currently publishing a weekly newsletter moving toward a full website with more staff later this year. We're supported financially by Breakthrough Energy, uh, which uh, some of your readers may know, listeners I should say, Uh, may know it's a clean energy organization funded by Bill Gates, uh, which has rapidly grown to be uh, includes a venture fund and other programs as well. Uh, And it's just a whole suite of efforts that are really all aimed at a similar goal, which is addressing climate change through technologies. And Cypher does that through covering the whole landscape Mm -hmm. of the space, not just what Breakthrough Energy does, but what the whole space does. We launched in September 2021. And hopefully uh, you can include a link for your listeners to sign up if they would like. I'd love to. I'm really excited about what we have cooking. So I would encourage your listeners to stay tuned. It's to me so, um, it's so smart, the work that you're doing. You guys really are covering a lot of, um, as you said, the technologies and really sort of offering some insight into the kinds of solutions or approaches to solutions that are really out there. Um, specifically, how many people, because I know you've had a couple of journalists that you work with now, how many people are you working with at Cypher today? We have two additional journalists, uh, including myself, although lately I find my, myself wearing a couple of different hats. Uh, we're launching a website, so we're in website creation mode, which has been kind of a fun, different skill for me to to hone. So we have two full-time journalists in addition to myself, Anka Gerzu, based in Brussels. She was our first hire, which we could not have hired her at a better time. It was uh, February 2022, weeks before uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which has catapulted one of the biggest energy stories of our time. Uh, and she's been such a rock star uh, and we're thrilled to have her. Uh, we just hired in the last couple of months, uh, Amina Saeed. She's a DC-based journalist, and she's done some incredible incredible work uh, covering hydrogen and other topics for us here. And stay tuned for 
a lot more work from her. We're also exploring uh, additional hires, of course, uh, with uh, some full-time freelancers. And another key focus of Cypher has been and will continue to be what we call voices, which are our version of op-eds. Mm-hmm. One thing we want Cypher to do that can set us apart from perhaps some of our colleagues in this space is we want to provide a community for everybody in clean tech to come and have conversations and publishing uh, takes from other experts is one way to do that. For example, we've published three voices articles on the Silicon, Silicon Valley bank collapse and how it affects climate tech startups. So that's one uh, way that we think we can contribute to the conversation. One thing I often say to folks who may not be energy experts in energy, but know journalism, which may be more your audience, uh, we have, um, speaking of our team, we have a a colleague, Matt James, who co-founded Kaiser Health News uh, many years ago. And KHN, as some of your listeners may know, is a healthcare news outlet founded by Kaiser Family Foundation for the sole purpose of really educating people doing explanatory journalism in the healthcare space. That's what Cypher is doing uh, in the clean tech space. I love that. Let me get back to that because I'm so interested in this mission-driven journalism. I I really did appreciate the coverage on Silicon Valley Bank because I did feel like as much as you were offering reporting, it also was some really interesting points of view that maybe I wouldn't necessarily have um, thought about or consumed before coming to to find out you know what it was that Cypher was saying about that. Do you solicit that kind of feedback in the voices or do you um, do you seek those out? How does that how does that process work on your end? Because it seems like it might be a little bit different than the traditional submission of an op-ed. Well, right now we're one thing I often say to, to my team and others is we are we are learning by doing. So mm-hmm. we're flying the plane while we're building it. We're trying things out. We're seeing how it, how it works. But for now, the SVB voices in particular was uh, a l- more perhaps focused than others. Mm-hmm. So right now, I reached out to those folks because I've known them yeah. and saw them quoted in media articles and uh, w- wanted some thoughtful analysis um, from people who are in the trenches about it, mm-hmm. who really financial livelihoods were on the line for right. at least fleeting moments during that crisis. Uh, but then other times we've received unsolicited outreach from folks as well. Oh, awesome. Uh, and we have um, my associate editor colleague, uh, Jillian Mock, she edits everything, keeps the trains running. She's done an incredible job of building up a pipeline of voices that is a mix of people that we reach out to and people that we hear from. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it explains now. I mean, full disclosure, I've been trying to catch you since Cypher launched in September of 21. So fully, fully excused, girl, because it sounds like you are really busy, but you're doing really great work. And I'm super proud of all the stuff that you guys have out there. It strikes me too. I mean, so only three people yourself, and then you're the executive editor. So you're writing and you're editing. I mean, you're really doing a little bit of all of the things, but you have these two other folks. Are you traveling? Are you going to see? I mean, there there's a lot to cover, right? There's so much news, especially in this space that you guys, I can't imagine you're sleeping a whole lot. Definitely. Well, uh, and so we have two full-time journalists who spend their time writing and reporting. Then we have Jillian Mock, who's our associate editor, is doing such a killer job there. We also have some support operationally from an outside firm that helps do things like post things on social media. Sure, sure. Um, uh, And then we also have um, a colleague uh, who helps on the illustrations, who does the illustrations, um, who works 
as who works on other similar uh, jobs at Breakthrough Energy writ large. So it's right. a really, it's a great amalgamation of different team members coming together to put this together. But, you know, just in a short time that we've existed, you know, when we, when we launched in September, um, 2021, it was, you know, it was a much smaller team and it was <laughs> a lot to write a thoughtful article every week. Yeah. If you really wanted to be thoughtful and not just the same thing everybody else sure. is writing and that mm-hmm. was a challenge. So it's been really fun to see things, uh, grow and shift, uh, to your question about travel, I am traveling um, for conferences and things to get Cypher's name out there, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a balance because I don't just want to be flying for the sake of going to more and more conferences. I want it to no, be, sure. you know, not just the carbon footprint perspective, but also oh, yeah. just a tech management thing. I Something that I really try to instill in the team that we have at Cypher and the, the broader Breakthrough Energy team and, and even my friends is like, life comes at, at you as a package. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sacrifice my sleep or my, you know, personal time for work. Yeah. I mean, sure, there's, there's exceptions to that rule. But by and large, you always need to make sure that you have time to sleep and have your personal time. That's super important. And I try to practice that. And I hope that my team does as well. Well, more people should probably take that advice, especially nowadays. Well, and, you know, on the topic of climate change, which is the topic that we live in, you know, this isn't like a campaign. It doesn't end in November. It is never going to end. So we have to find balance because we will be fighting this and addressing this for the rest of our lives. No doubt. No question about it. You have, long before you were at Cypher, you have a long and amazing tenure of being an energy and climate journalist. Tell me how it is that you came to be writing in that space. Talk talk to me a little bit about your background and how it got started, Amy. Yeah, well, I always knew I wanted to be a journalist ever since I was writing silly fiction stories as, as a little girl. I went to school at Western Washington University. It's a, a public university in the upper northwest corner of Washington. So as far northwest and mainland U.S. as you can get. Mm. Uh, and I thought at the time I wanted to be a legal journalist, which looking back on that made no sense because why go to law school, accrue all this debt, and then go make not that much money in <laughs> the journalism industry. Uh, but I took the LSAT and moved to DC. I lived, grew up here in Washington state mm-hmm. and uh, moved out to DC for what I thought would just be a quick internship after college. A quick six month internship turned into 12 years. Uh, I just didn't want to go back to Washington State after having just moved to the other Washington. And one interesting early turning point was uh, the Bellingham Herald, which is where Western uh, is. I had worked there as an intern and they had come back to me once I was in DC and said there was a business reporter position open. I was tempted to take it. That would have been the easy path. I would have gone home, just grown my career here. Uh, But that job was cut six months later. Uh, So and unfortunately, that that was 2008 or nine. So that was the recession. I think actually they offered me the job before everything collapsed. Right. So had I taken that, I would have had a very different path. It would have been a fine path. I don't think there's many wrong paths. But in any case, I stayed in D.C. and um, my editor at the National Journal, which is, I think, Lisa, where you and I first met. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with National Review, which is a different publication. Uh, right. 
National Journal, they, my editor at the time said they needed help with an energy blog uh, and I was available. So I just kind of dipped my toe in it and increasingly found that it was a fascinating topic that I'm learning new things every day. There's still things that I don't Absolutely. know about today. And, and the topic changes, of course, right? Climate change is getting worse and climate technologies are, are getting more widespread. So it's just been a really fascinating uh, time to, to grow up in this space because back then, you know, it was the fracking boom and I traveled the U.S. in North Dakota and Colorado and other places talking about fracking, the, the potential environmental impacts and the economic benefits as well. And, and now my career has shifted to really look at everything through a climate lens. Yeah. I mean, there, Wall Street Journal, Axios, I mean, the pedigree is extraordinary. And now certainly with the time that you spent in Washington, I have to believe that that helps inform the work you do today with Cypher too, because you just have built this tremendous network of people all across the spectrum of the issue and the spectrum of the various, you know, means of energy production and technologies and otherwise. So that obviously has done wonders for you for this new role as well. Oh, certainly. I don't, I don't regret a minute of my time in DC. I, I wouldn't be here um, if I had not spent on that all that time. And I, I was at the National Journal for six years and then the Wall Street Journal recruited me, and, and I loved every minute of that as well. Uh, and I wasn't planning on leaving, but when Trump won in 2016, as, as you probably know, as, as a creature of Washington, whenever there's a new president in town, but particularly one as different as Trump, mm-hmm. the whole town just gets new jobs. Half mm-hmm. the town leaves, new people come in. Journalists also change jobs. And so I had a couple of different offers on the table. And although I wasn't looking to leave, I started thinking, well, if I'm going to change jobs, now might be the natural time to do so. And Axios was, I had three offers and I won't go into the details on what the other ones were, but Axios was my third option. It was my least favorite when I went into these different interviews. And by the end of it, obviously, I was the right one. (laughs) And they had started talking to me December 2020, sorry, December 20. 16. So before they even launched. Mm. And so it was a bit of a risk, right? Like, although Jim Vandeheim and Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz know what they're doing, it was still a new thing. Yeah. Uh, I ultimately decided why not take a risk? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a calculated one because they're, you know, among the best in the business. And so I took the leap and I, you know, the three years I spent at Axios were incredible. I learned so much about growing things and being nimble and patient and pivoting when something's not working. Uh, and then I moved out here back to be closer to my family was the primary reason while I was still with Axios Mm -hmm. and that prompted breakthrough energy to reach out. I think partly because I was physically here, although it doesn't matter where people are anymore. (laughs) Uh, and the same thought crossed my mind. I thought, well, why not take this risk? Yeah. Worst case scenario, it fails, but I will have learned a lot. And you know, two years into it, I've learned so much about the technologies that we're covering, but also about being a leader and being about being patient and overcoming challenges and all of the above. So going back to my comment I made about sort of life and work as a package, like I make my decisions about my career as part of the package of life. And these different career steps have fed into that mindset. I think that makes so much sense. And I think that as both of our worlds change and evolve 
and grow. Um, I hate to think about it as, as, I think it's a shift, right? Journalism is shifting. Communications is shifting. Everything is really shifting. It's smart to be able to take those risks because as we, I had a journalist on the show just a couple weeks ago and he said that the one thing that he finds that does serves him best is that he tries to learn something new every day because it feels like it gives him an opportunity to continue to be better, continue to grow, continue to think about ways that his career will evolve and change over time. And that to me sounds exactly like the kinds of um, the perspective that you have perhaps that, that learning and growing is also really good for, for everything you do, especially with this beat. I have to ask, we met because I was on uh, working on the energy side. I continue to do work in the public affairs space uh, for some energy clients. This particular topic is so big. I mean, it is by far the largest and most challenging um, that we will face as humans in, in our short term here, but also going forward. Um, it, to me, it, the one thing that I, and it's hard for me to sort of come up with the words, but it is hard with a topic that's, 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 that's this existential, this difficult to, to address. Are there, are there windows of hope? Are there opportunities? Are there things you're seeing in the technology and the items that you're covering that give you some encouragement that perhaps that will meet this challenge in a way that might surprise us all? Oh, certainly. You know, I think there's so much interest in this space. There's so many people who want to work in this space, whether it's doing communications or inventing, you know, a way to make sustainable cement. Mm. Uh, there's really a need for people to work in all, you know, all types, all corners of this industry. And one sort of concrete example of hope and optimism is that we now have two climate schools in the United States. In the way we have medical schools around the country and world, we need climate schools because just like we need to teach people how to, you know, do surgery on somebody, we need to teach people how to make the technologies and address the challenges we have both with mitigating climate change and also adapting to the warmer world mm. that we're in. So Columbia University had the first climate school. Stanford is now launching the second. And these are hopefully the two of many that we have around the world. That's so interesting. I had no idea. And that's, I mean, that it absolutely makes a ton of sense that that would be something that would be, you know, empowering and, you know, making just a whole new generation of, of students that will understand and be able to sort of rise to that occasion and that challenge. Um, the industry itself is so fascinating because it does seem to me like even those who perhaps have come along more slowly than others um, are coming now to the table and having conversations that if you and I had talked about this 10 years ago, we might not have thought that that was, would be where we would be today. Oh, completely. My, my first column I wrote for Axios in April, 2017, the headline was something like corporate America doesn't, doesn't back Trump on climate. And to me, of course, I mean, to me, that headline seems kind of crazy today mm. because corporate America, corporations are so pro, like they, they talk so actively, positively about climate change that, you know, many people might be surprised that there was a time when a lot of corporate America, not just the, the fossil fuel industry, but lots of companies Others, yeah. didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And 2017 was the beginning of a sea change among corporations to begin reckoning with this. And sure, we still have a long ways to go uh, matching up rhetoric with action, but 
you know, this is this, you know, we talk about flattening the curve over weeks with COVID, mm-hmm. you know, we're flattening the curve of emissions over decades and centuries. So, you know, it's to the average layman, lay person who's reading these headlines, they, it may seem like things are not changing. It's just that they're changing more slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I, I think it's, um, it's the, it's the conversation we're going to continue to have over time. I also ask, I have been the recipient of um, calls, hard calls from people that just fundamentally disagree. This is an issue that is emotional too. Decipher, do you get feedback from folks? Uh, probably yeah, from both do. sides. Yeah. We definitely get positive and negative feedback. I was just commenting to my colleagues that, you know, as social media changes a lot and Twitter seems to be not the popular kid on the block these days, we've been posting more and more on LinkedIn and I, sort of remarked a little bit darkly that a lot of the vitriol we saw on Twitter is migrating over to LinkedIn now. And I've had a couple of really prompted on like not on purpose, some heated exchanges and comments about pretty wonky things like the difference between capacity and generation Mm. and sort of the mineral use in renewable energy versus fossil fuels. And on the, at a very high level, that's great. We need to be having these discussions. I, I weigh in sometimes. And, and what I do is I, I encourage people, hey, like we're all, try, let's try to be polite and constructive in yeah. the way we're having this exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we take feedback from all angles and we want to make sure that we're incorporating that in that story where we, not to get too in the weeds, but electricity generation is different than electricity capacity. One is the potential mm-hmm. of it, and one is the actual use of it. Right. And I, as I said to the readers on LinkedIn, yeah, we should have mentioned the difference. That was an oversight on ours. It's the type of thing where we want to be humble when we do things that may not have been ideal. Uh, the one crowd that we don't spend our time interacting with are people that still just completely disavow the science. Oh, yeah climate change. Mm-hmm. Those people definitely still exist. I may or may not be related to some of them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that crowd is alive and well. And, and I think that's an area that we don't spend our time on. But it's certainly something that we have to keep in mind. Yeah, no, and I feel like that's just sort of the nature of where we are, even in communications, I don't have a platform like you have with cipher. But I do, you know, I share information about journalists and periodically, I'll get notes from people who talk and want to say things like fake news. And I politely say, thanks for stopping by, (laughs) you know, Um, I think it's the world we live in, but I'm so, I mean, impressed with the work that you guys have done in just in a short period of time. So as we, I mean, you're in the upper Northwest now, when you're not writing and recording, what kinds of things are keeping you busy? Oh, geez. Um, Well, I love to trail run. And so I've been doing lots of that uh, here in the beautiful trails of, you know, the foothills of a lot of the mountains, which is great. And also some cross country skiing. I don't downhill ski for a lot of very judgmental reasons that (laughs) but in any case, I love cross country skiing. Um, It's a great form of exercise in the wintertime. Absolutely. And then just hanging out with friends and my partner and, and my cat. That's awesome. Oh, that's and so family, good. of course. Ultimately, I've moved back to be closer to my family. I have a sister here in Seattle, and then the rest of my family is a short drive across the mountains on the other side of the state. So oh, nice. after 12 years being away from them, it's really nice to be back. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's 
it as far as it's not, it's not far, but it is far to be on the other, other side of the country for sure. Oh yeah. I'm learning that as I have flights and, you know, Seattle is in the upper left corner of this country. We are, we are far away. It can weigh on me. No but. doubt. Well, I'm going to wave from the microphone to my family who lives in Bellevue because I have family that's out West and tell you that I'm flying through Seattle in just a few days to go to British Columbia to downhill ski. Um, but okay. it's, I love that part of the world. I'm so glad you're up there. So next time I'm going to have to add some extra days so I can stop by and see all the great work you guys are doing. As we get to the end of our conversation, I always have to have to ask for a recommendation. It's how the keep, I keep the podcast conversation going. Who should I talk to for a future episode? Well, a colleague of mine, another reporter colleague who you may know, Robinson Meyer of The Atlantic, he just helped launch a new climate tech, climate, I guess, broad climate new um, publication called Heat Map. They could be really cool um, to talk to. Awesome. I had no, I've known, I can't wait to hear about it. I'm going to tell him that you nominate them. Yeah, it's brand new. So Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for taking the time. I know how busy you are there. You guys are doing great work. I'm super, super grateful for you. And I can't wait to see what's on the horizon. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to to talk. This has been great fun. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.